Welcome, neighbors, to Hometown Earth, the podcast that brings a down-to-earth approach to all of your sustainability questions. I'm your host, Lena Sanford, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here, we believe that everyone can change the world. Do you believe? I'm a Midwest gal with big dreams to discover what it takes to reduce my impact on this beautiful place we call Hometown Earth. Join me every Tuesday as we navigate what actions we can take, big or small, to make a positive impact in your life and the lives of your neighbors on Hometown Earth. Welcome back, neighbors. And you know what? Go ahead and cue the shot glasses because this episode, we are toasting to one of the coolest vodkas on the market. What if I told you that all of the old Twinkies, Ding Dongs, birthday cakes, and bagels that didn't make it from the shelf to your kitchen could be thrown into a bin and made into a smooth, delicious vodka? Would you believe me? Well, I never dreamed it could be done, but the makers of Misadventure Vodka did, and I am blown away. In this episode, Whit Regali shares with us how he and Sam Cheresgan worked together in San Diego, California to sustainably produce their award-winning Misadventure Vodka, the world's first carbon-negative spirit made from excess baked goods collected from food banks. Yep, that's right. You can help fight climate change and food waste just by taking a shot. Wit asks us to embrace life's misadventures, which is how they created this sustainable product, and even gives us an amazing recipe for a misadventure martini that will satisfy you and help divert food waste from polluting the planet. So let's cheers to that win and dive right in. Wit, thank you so much for joining us here on Hometown Earth today. If you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you ended up in the space that you're in right now. Sure. Thank you for having me, Lena. Um, my name is Wit Regali. I am the co-founder and distiller of Misadventure & Co. We are a craft distillery uh, here in San Diego, California. And I got into the alcohol industry just like anybody else. So I got a degree in fine arts and uh, that led to a great career in bartending. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, you know, I, I graduated college and decided to go. Uh, I went to school in uh, UMass Amherst and um, decided to go on an adventure out to California that I, I thought was going to be a year long adventure. That's where I kind of picked up bartending and the working at a ski resort and uh, Mammoth, California. and. I never left California. Uh, I've been here since 2006 on that same adventure. Uh, and one of the things I noticed when I moved to California and started bartending was the explosion of, of craft beer uh, here in San Diego. I, I, I had never been exposed to that in, in Massachusetts. And the idea of making a living by making alcohol was something that never even crossed my mind. I thought it was amazing. Right. And at the same time, from bartending, no one was really doing that same thing, you know, to hear it. So approaching it from a craft perspective, everything that was on the shelves behind the bar was from these giant, giant corporations uh, and, and stuff that didn't really represent the community of San Diego like the beer is done. And so that really kind of got me started on my journey. Um, and so I started taking classes, buying books. Uh, I ended up buying a little small still and 
doing experiments in my garage. Those are uh, air quotes right now. Yeah. Um, uh, I was definitely not making any kind of whiskey or anything like that because that would be illegal <laughs> here in the United States. So so a lot of essential oils. But yeah, so that really kind of got us started. Uh, and I, I ended up meeting my business partner, Sam, while I was bartending. And he was the yin to my yang, you know, really, really focused, very intellectual and has a he had a background in agricultural economics. Mm-hmm. And so that really helped us get to where we are today. Um, I won't get too far ahead of myself in the conversation, right. but that's really the beginning of it. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what is Misadventure? Let's share that. <laughs> Misadventure is a sustainable distillery. Uh, we are actually, we produce the world's first carbon negative spirit. Um, our vodka, Misadventure Vodka, is the world's first spirit made from surplus baked goods that we get from food banks. So essentially what a, a carbon negative anything really means, that's kind of a new word, uh, is that we divert more CO2 uh, than we create with our process. Um, and I can explain that more when I get into that process. Yeah. But essentially how we got to this point, when Sam and I first started, you know, we both Love the idea of of making a, a craft spirit. Um, we wanted to get into whiskey at first, uh, but we also wanted to have a sustainable company. Um, opening, in our minds, opening a company and starting a company in today's age, you have to think about how you're going to help the environment and not just damage it more. I think for a responsible company owner that those days are done. And so we knew we wanted to be sustainable. So our original idea, and we, we did about two years of, of um, making essential oils in my garage. <laughs> and um, we, we, we came up with uh, some good recipes. And uh, we originally wanted to put stuff in reused wine bottles just because packaging itself is, is, is such a huge contributor to damaging the environment. Yeah. And, um, with spirits, you know, it's just a vessel. It's really the spirit that uh, that everyone is interested in. And uh, long story short, neither the whiskey nor that worked. But all of that uh, hard work and knowledge in trying to get that thing to uh, a workable product didn't go in vain. Uh, we learned a heck of a lot. That pivot that we've we've made into making vodka, that's really where our name Misadventure comes from. Um, and I think that's where how we all grow in life is is by doing things wrong or trying really hard and failing, but then picking yourself up and trying again or, or taking what you learned and, and, and that wisdom in uh, growing from that. And so we embrace all those things we've done wrong and we've done plenty wrong. Um, and and but it's made us better. And we're hoping by embracing that name and that nature, tell everybody that, you know, in their own life, no matter what they do, um, that really hard thing that that, that they're working is going to make them better in the long run. So that's where the name comes from. But how we got to uh, making vodka uh, from this whiskey project was um, part of the problem with making the whiskey was that to make a good bourbon or rye, you need to age it. And generally that's two to four years, four years really for a good, a good bourbon. And uh, you got to think that like, that bourbon is not making you money for four years. It has to sit in that tank. And then you have to 
project out, uh, you know, four or five years in advance from that, you know, the demand. So um, with us being two young entrepreneurs with no money, um, that just wasn't feasible. So we needed something that was going to take like a week to 10 days to make white spirit, such as like a vodka, a gin or white rum uh, can satisfy that. And so as we were looking for a sustainable way to make that product, this is about 2015. Again, Sam has a background in agricultural economics. He's very interested in food systems, particularly focused on sub-Saharan African food systems. The, the Natural Resource Defense Council in the U.S. came out with a study talking about how much food that we waste, not only here in the U.S., but globally. And this is the first time that I think the public was really exposed to how much food is wasted, but also the environmental impact of that. Right. Uh, and so that, that was the big numbers that came from that was 40% of all food that is grown globally ends up uneaten in, in a landfill, essentially. When that happens, it's kind of like a, a, a double whammy for the environment because the two invisible parts of that, besides just kind of just wasting food, is that food has to be grown and uh, has to be watered. That land has to have you know fertilizer and pesticides on it and then harvested uh, transported, processed, packaged, uh, and so many other steps have to happen for that, say, like thing of wheat to turn into a cake at your local grocery store. And if that doesn't get eaten, then all of that is wasted. Which is just so unnecessary because it's the labor into it as well. You know, it's resources. So it's just consuming so much just to be thrown into a landfill. Yes, absolutely. And um, I do want to preface that, like, this is not one company's fault, not one sector of the industry's. It's it's not really anyone's fault. It's just the nature of our, our of our modern food system. There's waste throughout the entire process, and there's a lot of companies that are uh, developing to try to prevent that. And we're, we are making strides, but the fact of the matter is, is that this food waste is still a major contributor to climate change. So you know, we're in California. Uh, which is a pretty drought-written area, but we're also one of the major food producers here uh, in the United States too. And 25% of our drinking water goes into the food that we don't even eat. Wow. And so here in California, that is a major, major thing. Uh, and so finding ways of reducing food waste, but also it's kind of like growing that extra crops is going to be really helpful for all of us. Yeah. And then the second part of this of this problem is that when food ends up in a landfill or it, you know decomposes, it turns into methane. Um, and methane is 25 times more damaging to the atmosphere uh, and to the environment than CO2. And so how we look at this this situation and kind of the light bulb moment for us uh, here at Miss Adventure was understanding from an alcohol maker's perspective that a lot of this food that's being thrown away is comprised of starches and sugars, which are the building blocks to making any kind of alcoholic beverage. Yeah. And so understanding that, uh, we kind of asked ourselves, well, could this stuff be used as you know a feedstock for making alcohol? And uh, yeah, it just made sense. It, it does. Yeah. And so um, that question just kind of led us down this, uh, you know, crazy journey and odyssey where we started uh, working in other distilleries here in San Diego um, and using their facilities and even breweries too 
to start taking some of this excess food and see if we can turn it into uh, an alcohol. And in 2017, we finally did that. We created our, our vodka from all these surplus baked goods that we are getting from the food bank. And bread is like one of the top three things to be thrown away. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel like that that's definitely diverting quite a bit. So how did you end up getting connected with the food bank specifically? Was that just an idea that you reached out to them and kind of started that relationship or? Well, every, you know, everything starts off small. Right. Gonna have to, when we first get the idea, you're like, well, where do we get this stuff from now? And so we went to the grocery stores at first and asked them what they did with their excess food. And uh, we got kind of three answers. They either gave it to uh, a digester, they gave it to um, composters, but most of them would give it to food banks. Uh, and part of that is there's a giant tax write-off for donating uh, the, the food. In California, around that same time, uh, a law has been passed that is starting to tax municipalities and companies who are wasting food uh, more. Uh, and so there started to be these kind of meetups uh, with restaurants and food banks and, and, and cities to figure out how everyone can work together right. so we could not waste food and also not get fined for that. And uh, so we started going to those meetings and that's how we started being connected with the San Diego Food Bank, but also a lot of the nonprofits around here who are uh, working in this anti-food waste sector. So gleaning organizations and, you know, organizations that are taking surplus food and turning it to meals to give to the needy and the elderly and things like that. And so the great thing is, you know, we're working with them now as well and trying to figure out different ways of how we can help prevent this food waste, but also help our community at the same time, too. And I love that it is kind of coming from the food banks, because that means that you're not taking food away from somebody that is is hungry. You know, it's already hit its end of life. And so it's not like anything new or something that would otherwise feed people. Um, it's just figuring out a way to to make that product useful and kind of save everybody some some money and um, give them a healthier life. I, I appreciate that. Yes. Th I mean, thank you for bringing that up. Um, yes, we specifically choose the food banks because um, they're actually not giving this these pastries and baked goods to the needy for the most part. So you got to think that food banks, they're nonprofits. You know, they do amazing work, but they don't have all the resources in the world. And the food that they're getting does expire. It has a shelf life. And so they're going to focus all of their resources to make sure that the nutritious foods are given to the needy so you get the best bang for the buck there. Right. Anything that doesn't have nutritional value, they can't afford to preserve that um, and, and kind of waste their time on that. And so unfortunately, even though they have to, they accept it and they have to accept it sometimes, they end up throwing it away and a lot of times it's perfectly good and it costs these food banks money to throw this stuff away. And so by us kind of being a caboose on the food system and taking this stuff from them, we're actually saving the food banks money so they can now now focus even more on, you know, helping the needy out and, and growing their organization. Yeah, absolutely. Well, do you have any like estimates on how much of that you've diverted from a landfill to that you've collected from these food banks? We've been collecting an average of two thousand pounds of baked goods a week when we're really 
cooking and up and running. Well, so the obviously the shocker that most people probably don't realize when you're saying baked goods, I was amazed at all of the baked goods that actually go into this vodka. Can you give us a little taste of what different types of baked goods go into this vodka? If you could imagine everything in grocery store bakery aisle, uh, you have your, your normal bread, bagels, and then your fresh baked, uh, you know, breads. But it's also all your fresh baked cupcakes and cookies, cakes. We get so many cakes and every season has a different cake. And so we're going to start to get Christmas candy and cakes and cookies very soon. And definitely a lot of screw 2020 cakes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we'll get Super Bowl cakes coming up soon. But anything that you could think of that is going to have like a baked good in it. I mean, it also goes into like, even though like, like Twinkies and Ho-Hos and things like that, those are just all sugar with not a lot of nutrition value. That makes a lot of alcohol for us. The more sugar we have, the more alcohol we can make, which is the really fun thing. And by the nature of making alcohol, the vodka in particular, none of that stuff really shows through at the end. I feel like that most people would assume that the different baked goods that go into it uh, would create a different taste. Doesn't it all break down the same way? Yeah. So it's really the nature of, of doing this and making a vodka. It is the perfect solution for this. If we are making a whiskey, then yes, I would need a recipe. I would need to be like, all right, I need eight boxes of Lucky Charms and you know 20 pounds of bagels every time to get this exact flavor. Because when you're distilling whiskey, you don't distill it to this high purity. And that's what makes uh, whiskey a lot of fun because you can taste, say if it's a rye, you can taste a lot of that rye. Or if you're making a bourbon, you can taste the corn that it comes from. When you distill a vodka, you're distilling vodka to 95% ethanol. Uh, ethanol by nature is is very, very uh, flavorless. And most vodkas that you have on the market, you know, there, there's really no flavor, not a lot of flavor to it. I'm not going to say no flavor. There is a very subtle flavor to all vodkas. And if you line them all up next to each other, you'll be able to pick out different little flavor molecules because you don't distill it to 100% ethanol. It's always about 95, 96. And so that being said, there, we do have a distinct flavor with our vodka. The primary ingredient with most of our baked goods is refined wheat flour. And when you distill that down uh, and use the yeast that we're using, there is a natural vanilla flavor that comes through. Ooh. And so ours has a very subtle sweetness to it that because of the vodka, you can still mix it with anything you want. But when you're making a martini uh, or something where you're, you're having like a spirit forward part of the vodka, uh, that sweetness can really add some, some nuances and subtleties that another vodka wouldn't have. Right. And it's kind of about the viscosity as well, like how smooth it goes down. Correct. So how you can really judge a, a good vodka is the, the first and primary thing is you just don't want to taste like rubbing alcohol. And that's a big thing. I think everybody, when you said that, probably is going to go instantly to that one vodka that they had <laughs> that tasted like uh, just straight pure rubbing alcohol. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm exactly the exact same way. And, you know, the, the thing about, uh, you know, mass produced vodka is that it never really needed to be high quality because for decades, vodka has always been relegated to a mixer. It's always 
you know, in a Moscow mule, it's in a Bloody Mary, it's in a screwdriver. It's not, it was never really enjoyed by itself. Right. Even that martini craze uh, of like the 80s and 90s was still like like a cosmopolitan or an espresso martini. You had so much stuff to hide and mask the, the actual quality of the vodka. Now, since kind of 2000 on, uh, uh, bartenders have been really looking at their ingredients and trying to make cocktails that you can taste where it comes from. And so uh, I come from that kind of training and I wanted to make a product that you could drink on its own that, that held merit. And I, I didn't even know that vodka could uh, be smooth and taste good. So yeah. what you end up, what ends up happening uh, when you're, you're tasting a vodka that, that tastes like rubbing alcohol and smells like, you know, like a hospital is that in your distillation process and your filtration process, if you're not uh, precise and careful with how you make your cuts, you know, with, with the purity that your spirit's coming out at and then how well you're filtering, then any uh, impurity that comes through is going to overpower the subtleness of, of your ethanol. Mm. And so when you're tasting that rubbing alcohol kind of stuff and, you know, your, your kind of mouth kind of squeezes in, um, you're tasting those impurities. And that's the stuff that, you know, causes hangovers or massive ones. Right. And when you can remove that, you know, you'll still have that burn. That's that's ethanol, but it's very different from the rubbing alcohol. Uh, you know right there that you have a good quality vodka. And when you make cocktails with it, it it's even better. How long have you been using carton milk? I can say I have for a while now, so I was beyond excited when I found a new and easy way to make plant-based milk with Joy. Joy is a minimally processed nut base with no added sugar and comes in 100% recyclable packaging, unlike traditional plant-based milks. My homemade biscuits have never been fluffier and my sauces have never been creamier thanks to adding Joy. Mix it up how you like it on your own terms. For 10% off of your purchase of Joy, visit addjoy.com. That's A-D-D-J-O-I.com and type in the code Lena Samford. So let's talk about, you know, kind of the process that of turning these baked goods into uh, an affordable luxury vodka. Like, what does that look like? Are y'all in the back room just unwrapping ding-dongs all day and <laughs> <laughs> throwing them in a bin? Like, what does that look like? Well, that that's how we got started. And... Yeah, I mean, you got to think all this stuff is wrapped in, in in their packaging still, and we're getting it. It's it's not as easy as uh, going to a farmer and saying, "Hey, I need you know 200 pounds of corn or whatever or potatoes." We are at the whim of the food bank, so we are picking up about 2,000 pounds of surplus food uh, every week, and currently we're about to install a a giant separator that will actually separate uh, all of the baked goods from their packaging and kind of crush it up into this uh, uh, bread confetti. Oh. And that goes into a mash tun, uh, which is you know similar to any kind of alcohol making process. And we are going to uh, add water to that and uh, bring it up to a boil. We're, we need to bring it up to about 175 degrees Fahrenheit. That's going to pasteurize everything. So if some of the baked goods that we did get are... Um, a little past due. This will ensure that we kill any bacteria that goes into that. Once that's done, we have like kind of like a bread soup. Um, it's a little little thick at that point. Yummy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it smells really good, uh, but it doesn't look that tasty. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we'll add some enzymes and uh, then cool it down 
throw into our fermenters, add some yeast. We have a couple other proprietary things that we do too, but generally that's that's kind of the main the main process, and that's similar to making all kinds of alcohols. The yeast is the uh, what does all the work. It's going to eat the sugar that we've created, uh, and uh, its byproducts are CO2 and uh, alcohol. We'll let that ferment for four or five days. Uh, we'll take uh, our now after it's fermented our bread beer and put that into our still. And what distillation does, this is separate from what brewing does. If we were going to make a beer out of this, um, it would kind of stop right there. There'd be a couple of steps, but uh, the difference between distillation and brewing is that now we're going to separate the alcohol from that beer that we just made. We do that by boiling it. Mm. And when that pod of alcohol or, or bread beer is, uh, is heating up and boiling, um, Alcohol is a lower boiling point than than water. And so when we get steam coming up, that steam is alcohol vapors. And uh, as a distiller, uh, and what these stills are designed to do is we have these stainless steel tubes that will divert that steam into another pot. Uh, it'll get cooled down in, in, into a liquid. And essentially anything that's not an alcohol will stay in that pot. And so um, all of the... If there's preservatives or any kind of nasty thing in a Twinkie that you don't want in your, your system, that stays in that pot. Uh, all the gluten uh, actually stays in that pot, too. So all distilled spirits are gluten-free, and the TTB just finally recognized that. And so you're going to see all whiskeys and tequilas and rums and vodkas being able to advertise that now. Gluten is too heavy of a molecule. It doesn't turn to a vapor and go into the pot with the alcohol days there. And so we're actually separating the alcohol from that. Mm. And so uh, from there, we have to do a second distillation process where we're just taking the ethanol out and we've had to build our own equipment to be able to do that. Oh, wow. To get a vodka still, to buy a vodka still in general is a, a, a pretty specialized piece of equipment that uh, costs way more money than we have. And so because we had the benefit of working in other distilleries, we got to learn the ins and outs of, of how stills operate and uh, we're able to design our own. And so for a tenth of the cost of uh, what a vodka still normally would cost, we built our own. And, uh, you know, it's allowed us to be able to do more than just make a couple bottles at a time. 2,000 pounds of bread equals about 600 uh, bottles of vodka. Okay. Wow. Well, so um, looking at kind of the pieces of that process, do y'all have any sustainable mm -hmm. measures for like the waste, you know, the water waste or um, kind of that, <laughs> the bread soup that we talked about? Absolutely. We're, we're not perfect, but, and, and as we grow, we're, we're trying to find uh, uh, better ways of, of sustainably getting rid of our process and, and actually, you know, running our, our equipment. But um, our bread soup that's left over that doesn't have any alcohol in it, it's just kind of really highly nutritious soup. And we actually give that to the uh, a compost facility here uh, in the town next door. And they actually water the compost with, with our excess. And because it's highly nutritious, it actually helps the bacteria in that compost do its job. Wow. So we're not wasting that. And then in our distillation process, we have excess alcohols, so waste alcohols that we're, we're, we're taking out as well. We actually put that into, we have a bunch of like tiki torches and, and torches out in our, our tasting room 
that we use our excess, we call it heads and tails as fuel for, for that stuff. And, and as we get bigger, we're going to have more of that. So there are companies we can talk to that their job is to look at everyone's waste stream and find homes for that. That's really neat that y'all are looking at that and already implementing some of those measures already because it really just seems like y'all are doing a lot of great things. Um, I'm sure that trying to share that concept with the world is a little bit difficult. I know uh, you are you currently a bartender or you were a bartender. I, I was a bartender. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got you got to really know how to sell. And so, you know, is that kind of where this hedonistic sustainability uh, phrase kind of came from for Misadventure, trying to make sure people, you know, really needed to know this is still a quality vodka, but does good for the earth? Yes, that is absolutely that. Um, when we first kind of came up with this concept and we're figuring out ways of like, how do we sell this? How do we market it? How do we package it? We had to look at how sustainability was marketed in the past and or how some of these products were, were, were brought to market. And they all suffered. A lot of them suffered from like kind of a lot of a lot of the similar things. So back when Whole Foods wasn't owned by Amazon, it was really expensive to shop there. And so a lot of sustainable products were really expensive. Yeah. And another thing is also like get sustainable products. Like a lot of them were hard to to do or, you know, like if you look at recycling now, like before there was recycling, everyone just threw stuff in the trash. To get recycling to be adopted by people took a long time. Yeah. And so if you can make it easy on someone to be sustainable, it's going to be adopted that much quicker. And then finally, um, quality wise, there was a lot of sustainable products out there that just were not they didn't have the same quality. They weren't as they didn't work the same as like a mass-produced product. So like a, a toothpaste or a deodorant or a soap or, or a toothbrush. Like the sustainable options back in the day were inferior to the mass-produced ones. And so we wanted to make a product that didn't suffer from all those qualities. And so um, that's kind of where we we borrowed the term hedonist sustainability where it's something that like doesn't act, ask you to sacrifice anything to be sustainable. You can you basically enjoy yourself while doing good. Yeah. We're hoping that as we develop products in the future, we're always keeping that in mind. We don't want to make it too expensive. We don't want to make it uh we want to make sure that it's the highest quality possible. Uh we've won 16 medals since 2018, five gold medals in blind taste tests for our vodka. Wow. So by itself Without anyone knowing where, you know, how it's made, it's competing with the best vodkas in the world. Um, and then we're trying to make it accessible too, uh, which is an ongoing process of scaling this up, making this bigger, and trying to get it accessible for everybody. One of the benefits that the COVID thing is kind of relayed on to uh, distilleries is we're allowed to sell online now, which we couldn't do before. And that allows us to more people than just people in San Diego. And so now I think we can ship to 48 states now, which is, we could do that before, which is great. My bottle is on the way to Missouri. I'm so excited. And then I left the country. And so I'm ready to come home and crack that open and kind of toast to, you know, saving the world. <laughs> well, yeah, let me know when you do that. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Well, so um, is there, I know you kind of talked about plans to expand, like what does the future look like? What are you hoping um, as far as really just making 
people know about your company and um, what it does for for the planet? We want to make the vodka more accessible to everybody. And to, to do that, we have to kind of grow our capabilities, uh, get some bigger equipment. The nice thing, though, is unlike a lot of other traditional companies where the bigger you grow, the more you're you kind of damage the environment, the bigger misadventure grows. That's the more bread and, and food we can prevent from going to the landfill and be wasted. And so we've actually calculated kind of what some of those impacts are. And so hypothetically, if everyone in the U.S. who drinks vodka for an entire year drank misadventure instead, we could divert the same amount of CO2 as a forest the size of Yosemite National Park. Wow. So it's pretty wild. So that's the misadventure side of things and the vodka side of things. Hopefully in this next year, we're going to start coming out with specialty releases, some small batch releases, where we're doing experiments with locally grown... Flavoring? Yeah, yes, flavoring. So, but like really doing some fun experiments with locally grown ingredients, um, native species, and also invasive species and seeing if we can help fight another problem with this sustainable solution that we have. The vodka is a great base, but we can make uh, gins with the same process. We can make absinths. We can make amaros, flavored vodkas, limoncellos. There's, there's a lot of really cool things that we can do with this. Um, and so next year, hopefully this year, actually 2021, we get to start playing around and doing some really fun things. What's your favorite way to drink misadventure? Is it straight or do you mix it? I I personally like it straight, maybe like with one rock, uh, a little bit of citrus. A classic martini with that is really, really good. And um, one of the things that a good classic martini has is you need to get vermouth, good dry vermouth. Keep it in the refrigerator. Don't don't let it stay outside too long or it'll turn into vinegar. But basically two and a half parts misadventure. Uh, a half part dry vermouth, a little bit of orange bitters, a grapefruit zest on top. And you have a really, really refined, elegant cocktail right there. I'm sure everyone is salivating as much as I am right now. Yeah. I feel very parched. I need I need a misadventure vodka drink now. <laughs> oh, so where's the best place that, that people can reach you and misadventure vodka? I'm, that way they can start drinking. Well, uh, if you want to learn more about us, and you can kind of follow us on on social media, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we're we're pretty active on there now. Uh, if you live in the San Diego area, if you're ever coming to visit. Uh, we have a really, really fun uh, distillery and tasting room. We actually just hide for the best distillery in San Diego uh, through San Diego Magazine. And surprisingly, um, we got runner up for best cocktails in San Diego uh, because at our tasting room, we essentially have a full bar. And so uh, we, we have local beers, uh, wine and other local spirits. And we're making cocktails here. So we've designed this place as a, as kind of a home that, you know, we everyone that comes in, your guests to our home and, you know, we want it to be very comfortable here. So, yeah, please, please come visit. But if you can't, uh, yes, follow us on social media um, and reach out to us, ask us questions. We're, we're there. Hopefully, um, if, if people can get to traveling again and get to San Diego to the Misadventure Tasting Room, that they'll, they'll let you know hometown Earth sent them. So. That's right. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to touch on before we hop off? I mean, yeah, if there's any more questions anyone has, like they can always reach out to me and 
it's a it's an interesting process and a lot of fun and uh uh we we like to be kind of pretty open kimono about things uh because yeah. you know this this whole this whole thing with sustainability um it's all our responsibilities you know yes and what i'm hoping to do is is kind of empower uh other people and inspire them to like you know what like there's a problem here and like everyone can do something about it we're all on our own misadventures hopefully headed to a good sustainable place all right well sounds good thank you so much for joining us with thank you very much for having me i hope you enjoyed this episode of hometown earth as much as i did let us know by rating and subscribing so you never miss an episode New episodes drop every week on Tuesday. Head to the show notes linked in the episode description for more details and let us know in the comments what you want to hear next. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can find more about the podcast on Instagram, at Hometown Earth, or connect with me at Lena Sanford. We all know change needs to happen, so let's get started right here at Hometown Earth. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.